Go with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 18 to 23. We continue walking verse by verse through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And today we're finishing chapter 1. And just um, by way of reminder, what Paul's done is he's expounded on who God is and all he's done for us as humans and as believers. And where we're picking back up today is the specific prayer that Paul is making for his friends in Ephesus. And here's what his prayer was. Verse 18 begins, and he says, My prayer is that your eyes, the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened, that you may know that there's a hope to which he's called you. There are these riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. In verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And then he goes on and gives two full verses talking about the power and the work within us that raised Jesus from the dead and is always directed toward us who believe. It's according to the working of his great might, the the might that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Whether you've been with us for the last few weeks going through chapter 1 or this is your first time, if, if you were to go back through chapter 1 and just read it over all together, what you'd see is this major emphasis in verses 3 to 14 about redemption, literally meaning Jesus as ransom payment for all humanity. And then what you see now in these final verses is this culmination, this climactic announcement that Paul has been building toward, where first it's focused on the redemption, the ransom payment poured out for all humanity, and now it's all about the resurrection, the exaltation of Jesus. It has everything to do with his lordship over all things. And you look back on verses 3 to 14, what I've told you before in the original Greek, right? It's this greatest run-on sentence in all of history. It's one single sentence, verse 3 to 14. It's not the greatest run-on sentence because it's just because it's in the Bible, but because it so clearly emphasizes who our God is. Three persons in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The love of God the Father initiated and instructed the plan of redemption where the grace of God the Son poured out himself, carrying out the instruction of God the Father. And then this reconciled fellowship for all humanity was made available and secured by professions of faith through God the Holy Spirit. And then where we picked up this morning, verse 18, Paul is praying to the Ephesian believers. He's saying, I hope you realize that based on your belief on who God is and the redemption he provides, I hope you realize what that entails. Such an amazing hope of a calling from God of all creation. Not only that, but there is this richness of an inheritance in the saints. Don't pass over that. Now, what you're probably most familiar with is as believers, we have an inheritance guaranteed toward us through the righteousness of Jesus. And man, I'm looking forward to that. But what this is saying is that out of God the Father's love, we are an inheritance to him, based on the righteousness of Jesus. That there's going to come a day, based on the secured sealing of the Holy Spirit, when we are once for all delivered 
this inheritance in the saints, the saints will be God the Father welcoming, bringing us in to all eternity. Paul says, I want you to realize the hope you have, the inheritance that you're a part of, and I definitely want to make sure you realize the power and the work that is going on. He, he says, I pray you realize these things, but I really want to make sure you know the reality of this power, the same power that raised Jesus back to life. The only man in all of history who raised from the dead and didn't go back to the grave. We've got a number of accounts of people who supposedly raised back from the dead. We have a number of accounts in history that we know for certain, like Lazarus, he raised back to life. His body stinketh, said his sister to the Lord Jesus. He resurrected, but he eventually went back to the ground. Jesus, however, the power and the work within him and God the Father and the Holy Spirit breathed life back into his deadless body. He raised to life again, never to return to the grave. And Paul says, I want to make sure you realize what that's all about. So he goes on and he articulates it. Verses 19 to 20, he says, there's a power and work that's associated with the resurrection of Jesus that's not limited to that borrowed tomb that raised him back to life, but it's always directed to you as believers. This word for power in the Greek, it's dunamis. It sounds very close to our English word for dynamite. It's truly this explosive potential of energy, of, of power, not in a negative context, but in the best of ways imaginable. And we know when our Savior and Lord laid lifeless for three days in the tomb, it was dark. There was no life. But then on the third day, according to this power of the resurrection, light exploded through the darkness. Once for all, Assuring all creation that Jesus is Lord over all and once for all, defeating death for all humanity who choose to believe. It's not just about power and this dunamis, though. It's about this working within him. It's according to the working of this great might that worked in Jesus when he was raised from the dead. That word is literally understood as energy, this vast strength, the vitality that is required to bring about an existence of life, as well as activity and a substance of life. We're so familiar with how that absolutely was in the tomb and raised Jesus from the dead, but I think what Paul was getting at and what I think is probably appropriate for us today is too often, or maybe never before this morning, we forget the reality of that power and working that was in Christ in the borrowed tomb, that resurrection is the same within you and me by the indwelling Holy Spirit as believers. Don't worry, we're not going to get too charismatic on you, okay? God's okay with a little grace, though. So he goes on and he talks about this. There's this power. There's this working. And he says, let me tell you about this glorified exaltation. You've heard all about in this run-on sentence about redemption and ransom payment. Let me tell you all about resurrection and re um, not redemption, but glorified exaltation. The end of verse 20. Out of the working and the power of Jesus' resurrection, he was then seated at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly places. That's good, church. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also 
in the one to come. A position of privilege, of power, of the highest order of divine dominion. That's where Jesus, after he was raised to the dead, has been seated. And that's where Jesus remains today until God the Father looks to his right and says, Go get my church. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13. Feel free to take your time and flip to the right with me because I didn't bookmark it myself. I do that intentionally so that you might participate in the glorious gift of having physical copies of God's word at our disposal. Hebrews chapter 1, 13 says it this way. When it comes to this Jesus who's been exalted as Lord over all things, to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand? until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Certainly there's been no created being ever in that position, and that's why we needed no created being but the only begotten, who's always existed and came in the form fully God and fully man. If you go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 21 to 22, it says that like this about Jesus Christ, who in his exaltation was in this glorified, most esteemed position through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who's gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels authorities and powers having been subjected to him Paul says I want you to realize the hope you have I want you to realize the richness of the inheritance that exists within the saints but I don't want you to miss especially the power that raised Jesus from the dead and is fully in you by the indwelling Holy Spirit of Jesus, not just in the age to come, but a reality for every moment until then. He says when it comes to the Lordship of Jesus, as risen, seated king, he's now superior to every competitor. His throne is above principalities and powers. He is above all creation. He is above Satan in his demonic system, he is above everyone. He is above everything. He is above everyone and everything that you can see visibly. He is above everyone and everything that is completely invisible. Whether you believe it exists or not, whether you feel like it's appropriate or not, the lordship of Jesus out of his glorified exaltation is over all things. From this redemption to exaltation, there's this supremacy of Jesus, a lordship overall. And then Paul says it another way in Philippians. Just one book to the right of Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. I just want you to hear more from God's word about the lordship of Jesus overall because I don't want you going away from today thinking this is some opinion of mine trying to lord over you. This is the creator of the universe and he's been wrecking me all week leading up to today's sermon as he does every week. This is... Something else Paul says in Philippians about this lordship. Chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. Chapter 2, 6 to 11. When it came to Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead he emptied himself. This theology of kenosis in the Greek. God the Son emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on 
a cross. And up to this point, what Paul's saying to the Philippians in verses 6 to 8, that's all about that redemption, all about that ransom payment of God the Son in His grace pouring Himself out for all humanity. And he continues in verse 9, and he says, Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So when you flip back to this opening chapter of Ephesians that we're concluding today, Paul hits redemption in this run-on sentence, 3 to 14. He hits the lordship where we're at today, but then there's one more element we don't want to miss. Paul's emphasizing in two full verses, he continues to articulate the power and the working of the greatness of Jesus' glory that indwells in us, the same one that raised him from the dead. And what he says now is that in this capacity, in Jesus' capacity as Lord over all, truly reigning over all, in this capacity as head over all things, Christ has been given to the church. Him in whom all authority has been given in heaven and on earth has been given as a gift to the church. That's where people in the villages of Africa would shout out, Yes, Hashim, praise the Lord. They couldn't let me preach the rest of the day because they just shout out in praise. Thank you, Lord, that you in whom all authority on heaven and earth exists, you've given yourself to us. Think about that. He put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is described as the body of Christ, in whom Christ is the head. Survey all creation. What other element of creation is designated as the body of of Jesus, Lord of all. Not a single one. It's only the church that has such a deep, connected association with Jesus as his body. It's only the church, the gathering, the collection of believers in which Jesus himself as Lord over all identifies with just consider the weight of that, the reality of that. Not only did he provide ransom payment, pour it out for redemption for all humanity, but when it comes to the embrace and the experiences of benefit of resurrection and this glorified exaltation, it's only for the church. Redemption has been poured out for all humanity, but resurrection through this glorified exaltation is only for believers, only for the church, the big C church. All men, women, and children, all of history and all the future until Jesus comes again, who sincerely profess faith on Jesus as Savior and Lord through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's who makes up a church. And that's why we, as a local expression of the big C church, take so seriously, set such a priority on meaningful membership. Christ is the head. 
Man's not the head. A, a personality, a charismatic, um, engaging speaker is not the head because when this person in the flesh fails you, if you're following that person, you will be miserably disappointed. As a pastor much wiser than me once said when I entered into ministry, the higher you allow the baboon to climb on the pedestal, the more of his rump he exposes. You don't want to follow me. You don't want to esteem me up on a pedestal. We are not a perfect church. I am not a perfect pastor. But if you can get past that by the grace of Jesus, come alongside us and be captivated by the perfection of our Savior. Oh, he has done great things. And I know, amen, he will do them again. Christ is the head of the church. I'm the lead shepherd. That's just how the calling's been placed in my life. Here at Katie's First, we have uh, deacon bodies of ordained men who serve our church, serve our staff as an extension to our church and serve our people. We have committees where we function in a capacity to leverage giftings and expertise of our members to, to lead and make major decisions. And then we have a gathering of congregants, the priesthood of believers. We are all, by the Spirit of God inside of us, we all have access to the Father. And so we welcome in congregational um, decisions and um, direction and prayer and discussion. But there's only one head, and it's Christ Jesus, because he is Lord over all. So Paul says, I want you to realize the redemption. I want you to realize his lordship. And then he says, his body is the fullness of him who fills all in all, what Paul is saying here is that ultimately my prayer for you, believing friends, my prayer for you, believing friends of Katie's first, is that you would be filled with the fullness of Jesus who's been given to the church for us to surrender our lives to his lordship in every aspect of our existence. I think you'd agree that there's too often too vast a difference in our lives in the acceptance and the embrace of redemption. Thank you, God, that Jesus poured out his life as a ransom payment for me. Thank you, God, for securing my salvation. And God, I, I trust you with all eternity. I trust you with a never-ending eternity of existence. For whatever reason. We struggle trusting him in the here and now with lordship over every aspect of our existence. Say, God, I can get on board with this over here, but no, that really doesn't rub me the right way. No thanks, Lord. Wait a minute, God, you want me to, to stop doing what so I can be more available for this area of your kingdom? I just can't give that up. What Paul is saying is my ultimate prayer because Jesus Lord over all has been given as a gift to the church. My prayer is that you experience the fullness of Jesus in your life by being reminded of redemption and letting your life be led by his lordship. How do you want to be filled with the fullness of Jesus every day so that you might give it away for his glory? Daily, remind yourself of the redemption, the ransom payment he's made on your behalf. But also, humble yourself to a place daily as your feet hit the floor every single day. God, I submit to your authority. God, I want to let 
the leadership of your lordship reign supreme in my life. And what Paul's saying is that whether you feel it or not, whether you want to consciously allow that or not, he's on the throne. He's at the right hand of the Father. He reigns supreme over all things. You may as well come to a favorable position in that and be used for his glory in a beneficial way. For us, I think that hits home in two areas. Where it's easier to trust in the redemption aspect, where, yeah, God, my eternity is secure. Signed, sealed, one day to be delivered. We experience that in the here and now. We experience this idea based on the power of Jesus in our lives. We know that there's going to be this unmatched, undeniable ability to to navigate the passing from death to life. We know that there's going to come a day where we breathe our last on this earth, And because we've trusted in the redemption of Jesus and we've surrendered our lives to his lordship, there's going to come a day when we breathe our last here that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will help us pass from death to life. And man, we look forward to that day. But what Paul wants you not to forget is that every moment leading up to that day is the same opportunity. We look around the world that we live in. It doesn't seem like Jesus is on his throne. God, are you sure you're still in control? Because it looks like you're allowing some crazy guy at the helm in Russia to do some highly foolish things with citizens in Eastern Europe. God, are you sure you're still in control? Don't you know about this sexual identity that my kids are challenged with by other kids in their school, in elementary school? God, are you sure you're still in control? It says he's over all things in this age and the one to come, but it looks like he's just allowing you to spin completely out of control. And therein lies the gift of Christ to the church so that people connected to Jesus and one another may then be a gift to the lost and dying and dark world around us. Paul says, oh, I wish... You could be filled with the fullness of Jesus, being reminded of his redemption and letting his lordship lead you on a daily basis so that as Christ is a gift to you, you may offer that in your speech, your attitude, and your deeds as a gift to humanity all around you. Because when we look at the world around us, you're right, it it seems so often and sickening to, to put it lightly. It seems like God's not completely in control at times. But the way God has it set up is that through the beauty of the church, people connected to Jesus and one another, there's these demonstrations of this visible beauty of Jesus reigning as Lord over believers. We know it to be the case when people face tragic medical diagnosis. When one person who's not a believer is faced with the the Just overwhelming C word of cancer. And then you have a believer over here who's faced with the same diagnosis, the overwhelming C word of cancer. The response, if this believer is living under the lordship of Jesus in their lives, is truly night and day difference. The unbeliever says, Doc, tell me all the stats. Doc, tell me what I can do. Doc, tell me how long do I live? What can I do here? I'm overwhelmed. I 
Just don't know how I can go on. Over here, the believer says, what a friend of mine reminded me of a couple months ago. When his very wife got cancer, they were in the room waiting for the doctor to come back and share the news. The doc came in and said, ma'am, I'm sorry, it's, it's not good. It's, it's cancer. And it's in a bad place. And as this man, this friend of mine, didn't even have enough time to fight back the lump in his throat to, to give some consolation to his bride there in the room, she looks up at him and she says, now's the time we decide if we really believe what we've said we always believe. That's the difference. Culture doesn't give the appearance that Jesus is on his throne. The response of unbelievers in numerous areas of this life don't give the appearance that Jesus is on his throne. But when there is a couple who's been married for decades, following Jesus, submitting to his lordship over their lives, come to find out she's got cancer and it is so severe and overwhelming They remember the hope to which they've been called. They know that no matter what happens in this world, there's a richness of an inheritance in the saints that is coming and so sure. And that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives within them so they can say with all confidence, not putting on a fake or a, a facade, but they say in all confidence out of a life submitting to the Lordship of Jesus, Now's the time we decide if we really believe what we've said we always believe. That's a life filled with the fullness of Jesus that's remembering his redemption and letting the Lordship lead their lives. And so for us today, as we're closing out Ephesians 1, that might have some application in health diagnosis that you might be going through. Um, maybe you can relate and you, and you know exactly what that has looked like in the past with family or friends. Or maybe you can't really connect with something that specific, but every one of us, in our connection with Jesus and one another, we're called to be about the greatness of God's glory. That's what this opening chapter has undeniably shown us. That God has always been about the greatness of his glory, and during this age, as Christ is the gift to the church, he wants to be about the greatness of his glory through people who are connected to Jesus and one another in that authentic biblical community. And so for us, daily, being reminded of his redemption and daily consciously saying, I will let his lordship lead me. What we have to say to live a life filled with the fullness of Jesus is this. God, all I want to be about is the greatness of your glory. God, would you continue to manifest your glory in my life, in the life of my church, in the life of my community? And Father, would you grow an ever contentment in my own life that however you choose to glorify yourself, whether it's with a physical miracle that I'm hoping for, or it's something that lines up with my expectation, or it's something that doesn't even seem to make sense and so rubs me the wrong way. Father, as I pray for you to continue to manifest the greatness of your glory in my life, would you also at the same time grow a contentment in my life with however and whomever you choose to manifest the greatness of your glory? 
That's following Jesus in a way that's remembering his redemption and letting his lordship lead every aspect of your existence. And when we do that, every moment we have until we pass from death to life on this earth, or when we do that with every moment we have waiting until the Lord returns, we will be known as followers of Jesus filled with the fullness of him so that the gift we've received, we showcase it and extend it as a gift to men, women, and children who are lost and going to the slaughter.